going to turn this morning in our Bibles to James chapter 5. We're going to read the first nine verses. James chapter 5, the first nine verses. Let's hear the word of God. James chapter 5, we'll read from verse 1, reading of course from the authorized version. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this year, rather than have a weekend of harvest Thanksgiving services, we had decided some time ago to host a harvest mission. And you know that we've called it Christ is the Answer Harvest Mission. Now, during the theme of harvest in the last 24 years that I've been here as minister and ministering the Word of God, I've always preached on the subject of harvest. The last Lord's Day morning, I didn't. So today, I am tempting to rectify that. My text is actually found in James chapter 5, verse 7. It reads, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and have long patience for it, until he receive the early and the latter rain. Now, that's my text. And I want to preach on the theme, Gospel Lessons from the Precious Fruit of the earth. You see, in the past, I've told you there are 72 references in the Bible to the word precious. And if you study those words carefully, you could compile a list of the precious things of God, precious thoughts, the precious sons of God, the precious word. What about the precious blood, precious faith, the precious promises? What about the precious trials of your faith. Now today, I'm going to add to, to that list. I've already preached eight of these things. And I'm going to add to the list one other of the precious things that's revealed in the Bible. And that's the precious 
fruit of the earth. There's two references to this particular theme, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. If you turn over there to Deuteronomy 33 and verse 14, it says, And for the precious fruits brought forth by the Son, and for the precious things put forth by the moon. Deuteronomy 33, 14. And here in James chapter 5, verse 7. Now, why does James refer to the precious fruit of the earth? So let's think about the context. You see, in chapter 5, the apostle James is dealing with overcoming difficulties in the Christian life. The he answers the question, how to be strong, how to be spiritual, how to keep seeing in an ungodly world. And in chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, he issues a very strong verbal condemnation of very rich, selfish, ungodly people who have been found guilty of exploiting the poor worker for their gain. Now, when you read those first six verses, this is a blistering attack. This is very hot stuff. This is explosive. Now, I'm not dealing with it, but we could um, complete the exposure, if we had time, of their sinful attitude to the worker, their sinful actions against the worker, and the things that they were saying about the worker. Now, in contrast, when you come to verse 7, he issues what we could call a verbal consolation to God's suffering people. He wants to help them. He's out to encourage them. He's teaching them how to survive in the face of such trials and troubles. And he says this, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. That's his exhortation. Then he gives an example. Behold, the husband man waited for the precious fruit of the earth and have long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. He's saying to them, even though things are hard and even though you have been wronged in your life and even though you are discouraged and even though you have suffered this terrible treatment from the hands of these wicked rich men, how are you going to respond. Notice the word therefore. It means in light of this. You see, if you're a born-again believer, if you have a Christian and you've been badly wronged and you've been hurt and, and, and you're discouraged, here's what you must do. You're to be patient. You're to wait patiently like a farmer. Like a farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. And remember this, the Lord is coming back. And when the Lord comes back, he will come as the righteous judge. He will deal righteously and judge every person according to their deeds, whether saint or sinner. In other words, when he comes as the righteous judge, he will rightify all wrongs. Now that's the setting. That's the immediate context of the words, the precious fruit of the earth. And I want to take up that phrase this morning, uh, and I want us to learn some gospel lessons from it. This message actually came to me last Monday, uh, so I, I thank the Lord for it, and I've had it in my heart and in my mind uh, since then. I want you to learn a few things. One, the wonder 
of the precious fruit of the earth. Now, think of the subject of precious fruit. The precious fruit of the earth is a reference, I believe, to the produce of the earth. Think of the fruit of the field. Think of the fruit on the trees. It's in other words, it's a synonym for our daily food. So you've got to think of the fruit of the field, the orchards, the groves, and the vines. Over there in Psalm 114, sorry, Psalm 104, uh, verse uh, 14. Uh, this is what we read in the Word of God, Psalm 104, verse 14. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. And we were singing about that in one of our hymns there, that hymn 48. It says in Psalm 65, Thou visited the earth and watereth it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest him corn, when thou hast so provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the spring in thereof. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy paths drop fatness. You see, in the observation of nature, precious fruit of the earth is a reference to the food that we eat. And that we have received that food from the earth. And if we have received food from the earth, then it must have come from the earth. I want you to think not only of the subject of it, but think of the source of this precious fruit of the earth. You see, it's come out of the earth. It's been produced by the earth. How? Well, the true source, of course, takes us back to the greatness and the goodness of our God. The question is asked, who causes the grass to grow? And there's a simple answer, children, young people. It's God that does it. And he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and causes the herb to grow for the service of men that he may bring forth food out of the earth. You see, this takes us back to the origin of all things. And if you think of the food that we eat on a daily basis and enjoy, then you have to think of God. You have to think of God as creator, God as maker, God as provider, God as sustainer. You see, even the grass is formed by God. It's brought forth by God. Yes, I know that men have to plant and fertilize and nurture, but men can't make it grow. That is what God does. He makes it to grow. And you see, every farmer knows this. He knows there's a time and a day for planting and sowing. He knows there's a time in the year when the harvest will come around. He knows that the harvest will always be gathered in. And he knows, if he's a wise and good farmer, that only God can give the increase. It's not what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians, or sorry, in Colossians, wrong again. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and in the verse 6, it says this, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now here's an important fundamental truth. Every man is made in the image of God. Secondly, every man is dependent on God. Because in God he moves and lives and has his being. 
Thirdly, every man is being provided for by God. And fourthly, every man is accountable to God. And the precious fruit of the earth, every bit of food that we enjoy, all the world's natural resources, they testify to this fact. And yet the sad reality is so many reject it. So many rebel against it. So many refuse to acknowledge that God is, that he exists, that God is creator and maker, that, that God is good, that, that God has been good to them as the children of men. Do you know this morning that God controls the harvest? The soil of the earth obeys the voice of its creator. Over there in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 11, it says in verse 11, these words, But the land, whether ye go to possess it, is a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year. And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be filled. Think of the earth. Think of every field. Think of an orchard leaving with fruit. Do you ever wonder how it produces the fruit that it does? We could add in the rain, the early and the latter rain. We could add in the sun. We could add in the effects of the moon. We could add in the earth creatures. But the earth produces all that man requires by the hand and the goodness of our God. And there's enough in the world to feed all the people that's in the world. And of course, people are starving and many are starving because of man's greed and because of man's waste. Young people, even the precious minerals come out of the earth. Do you know that synthetic materials like nylon and rayon, they're also the products of the earth? You see, there's nothing that man uses or nothing that man has that doesn't come from the earth. Mankind lives on the earth and only on the earth. There's no other planet in the whole of the universe that can stay in life like earth. Mankind lives off the earth. He, he's fed by it. And of course, we could say something else. All mankind goes the way of all the earth. In other words, all die. Even Amy Carmichael had a death day. Summer, winter, spring and autumn. Four seasons. And they all stand like natural evangelists testifying to us of the greatness and goodness of God, testifying to us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth showeth forth his handiwork. And whether it's a long, hot summer, or whether it's a short, wet summer, whether it's a warmer winter or a bitterly cold winter, whether it's a bumper harvest or a bad harvest, the harvest speaks to us of the precious fruit of the earth and it brings that subject to mind that God is providing for our food. And it takes us to that source, that, and it ultimately comes back to God as creator and maker. 
I wonder, do you thank God for your food when you sit at the table before you eat, or do you just rush in? If you're out in a restaurant, do you do the same? That's a good way of giving a word of testimony, you know. You don't have to preach, but people will watch you. Do you think of God as your partaking of daily food? Rejoicing that he's creator and maker, provider and sustainer because you're dependent on him and you're accountable to him. You see, that's the wonder of the precious fruit of the earth. I want you to think secondly of the working of the precious fruit of the earth. If you look back at our text, James 5 verse 7, it says, Behold the husbandman. Now we'll pause. Who's he referring to? You see, he has given us an exhortation. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. So he's speaking to God's people. He's called them brethren. And then he gives an example. Behold the husbandman. Now, the word husbandman in the Greek is a reference to a farmer. He's a tiller of the ground. He's one who plows and sows and plants and cultivates the earth. Do you know that Noah was a husbandman? Genesis 9 and 20. Noah was the first farmer in that sense. Now, farmers have a lot of work to do. Whether they're dairy farmers, grain farmers, pig farmers, or sheep farmers, they always have a lot of work to do. And you know, farmers are a strange breed. A bit like the minister. There's always a lot of work to do. And I'll tell you something else about farmers. Farmers are always complaining. I've never met a farmer yet who hasn't complained. They're the biggest complainers we could say in the world. It's too hot. Or it's too cold. It's too dry. It's too wet. It's too windy. Or it's too still. It costs too much. I don't really hear them complaining that it's too little. The markets are glutted. Or the markets are gutted. Even though they often complain. And they moan and love having a good whinge. Every farmer knows this. That they have to follow God's timetable. Every farmer knows and has this knowledge. That the harvest will always come around in its season. He knows that the harvest always has to be gathered in. You see, the farmer goes by times and seasons instituted by God. And he knows that he has a duty and responsibility to use his farming skills to deploy hard work to provide for a harvest. He's always deeply aware that to produce the harvest, even though the harvest is in the hand of God and under God's control, and, and it's God that gives the harvest and God looks after the harvest and God is the Lord of the harvest and he knows that the Lord causes the earth to produce seed to the sower and bread to the eater yet there must be human labor there must be human activity he must use his skill he must get his machinery out of the barn he must exercise energy and time and, and, and labor for that harvest you see every harvest reminds us of our food and daily provision. And while it does that, it reminds us that we're all dependent on the greatness and goodness of God. The harvest not only reminds us of our food, but it reminds us of labor. You think of the description of the husbandman here. Behold the husbandman. Do you know that that's a title God takes to himself? 
John 15, verse 1. My father is the husbandman. Have you ever thought of God as a farmer this morning? And yet he's saying here, behold the husbandman. And you see, every believer must have a likeness to God. Because every believer is like a farmer. A farmer who works not only in the likeness to God's person, but a laborer in God's plan. You see, every believer has a part and a place in the great work of God in the spiritual realm. And what is true in the natural realm is true in the spiritual realm. I know this morning the Lord has hundreds of thousands of angels at his beck and call. He can say, go and do. And they would go and do immediately. But God says to every believer, even every believer this morning in this house, I have chosen you and I have called you to be involved in my great work of evangelizing the world. And even though you feel you're small and insignificant and say, well, there's little that I can do, there's little as much when God is in it. And God says, I have chosen you to labor, to bear fruit. How do I know that? Well, listen to John chapter 15 and in the verse uh, 16, John chapter 15 and in verse uh, 16, this is what the word of God says, you have not chosen me. But I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Think not only of the description of the husbandman, but think of the discipline of the husbandman. You see, farming's hard work. Do you know that farming is demanding? It's constant. There's nothing more demanding and constant than the work of a farmer whether he's a dairy farmer, a grain farmer, a pig farmer, or, or a sheep farmer. You see, life for the farmer is not a big picnic. It's not one big party. It's a calling to hard work and labor. There has to be dedication. There has to be discipline. Suppose the farmer would get up in the morning and the sun's shining and say to his wife and children, come on, we're going off to the Mourn Mountains for the day. Let's all bail into the car. We'll take a picnic. Or I'll tell you better than that, it's a lovely day, we'll go to the seaside, down to Port Rush, or, or Port Stewart. Or do you know what, wife? I'm having a day off. I'm going to do nothing today. Well, who's going to milk the cows? Who's going to feed the calves? Who's going to plough the field? Who's going to repair the fence? Do you see what I'm thinking of? The man's work has to be covered before he can decide to have a day off to the seaside or the mountains. Suppose the dairy farmer decides and plans, I'm having a day off, or I'm having an afternoon off. And he goes out in the morning, and there's a cow, and that cow is stuck in the cubicle house, or that cow is in difficulty, or that cow has a sore foot or a, a, a broken leg. He has to see to it. Do you see what I'm getting at? The cows have to be milked. The calves have to be fed. The fences have to be repaired. And maybe in addition to that, a load of fertilizer made a rise. In addition to that, there could be some sawdust to take off. And in addition to that, he could get a load of straw landing in the yard. You see, it's not part-time work. It's not something that he blows hot and cold into. Even when he doesn't feel like it, the farmer has to continue constant with his demanding Hard work. I, I remember a, a farmer in Coleraine and he wasn't married. Uh, God bless him. But he wasn't married. 
and he was going out with a girl for a time. And um, I knew this farmer in particular, and uh, the girl said in the company of another uh, individual along with myself, he spends more time with the cows than he does with me. You see, welcome to the life of a farmer. Because the farmer must be dedicated and must be disciplined. I'll tell you something else. Think of the duty of, of the, the husband man. He must make sacrifices. There has to be time and effort. There's responsibility. Suppose he goes out one morning and he looks at the tractor. Oh boy, she's a beauty. I've just washed her. And there she's sitting in the yard. And there's a, a, a field to ply. There's rotovating work. There's harrow work. There's stones to be lifted out. He has to sow that field. He has to plant his, his grain or, or whatever he's planting. See, there's no good looking at the tractor, is there? There's no good talking about the tractor. There's no point in saying, you know, I'll take her for a wee spin up the road and show off and wave to a few people and toot the horn. No, he's got to get into the tractor. He's got to drive down the lane, onto the road. He's got to go into his field. He's got to do his duty. There's not only dedication and hard work, but there's a life of self-denial. He has to get into that field and plow it. He must rotivate it. He must harrow it. He must sow his seed. Thousands of pounds worth put into the ground. Is it wasted? No. It's buried in the ground. And in the ground it dies. And in the process of death, then the power of life springs forth. And our life is like that. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 12, whenever he talked about the grain of wheat falling to the ground? John chapter 12 and verse 24. This is what the Lord Jesus said. L listen to these words. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. In other words, he has to make sacrifices. And I asked this morning this, are you and I a worker for God? Not just talking about the work of God, but actually doing it. You see, there's a great need. We're having this harvest mission. The world, as you know, is getting worse. You know that sinners are lost and in danger of hellfire. You know, the world, in a sense, has gone mad and crazy, being empowered by the devil himself under his control. And God's people, you and I, as a believer, we must realize the tremendous duty and responsibility that we have toward the work of God. The work of God demands discipline, and it demands self-sacrifice. So I asked this this morning. What concern have we got for family and friends to get them under the sound of the gospel? We're, we're now about to enter tonight, the last week of the mission. We're near the year's end. Ask yourself this question. What am I doing for God? Can I do more for God? What have I attempted for God? As far as prayer life is concerned. As far as evangelism is concerned. Think, think of the desire here of the, the husband man. What did he desire? Precious fruit of the earth. Isn't that we desire for God in the spiritual sense? 
Have you such a desire? Think of the dependence of the husbandman. He's looking for the early and the latter rain. And the Lord gave the rain. He promised it. The rain, of course, would come the early rain in October as the crops were planted. And, of course, the latter rain would be March and April before the crops were finally uh, harvested in. Do we have that dependence that God must give the increase? And the latter rain, of course, refers to the work of the Spirit. Think also very quickly here, the waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. Notice it says in our text, if you go back, Behold, the husbandman waiteth. Underline the word waiteth. He has already said, be, ye, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. So link up the word, be patient. Think of the word waiteth. Think of the word in verse 8, be ye also patient. Now, patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Seldom found in women, but not often in a man. You see, the reality is different. If I speak of a survey that was done in 2005, 2,000 people were asked a few questions. How long would you stand in a line for? One said 17 minutes. If you were put on hold in a telephone conversation, how long would you be patiently waiting for? Nine minutes. If you were listening to an automated voice, the telephone, TV, how long would you be patient for? Four to five minutes. You see, the reality is we don't have very much patience. And yet every farmer has to have patience, long patience, when it comes to the precious fruit of the earth. Yes, he has an expectancy that is from and of God. But he also has to have patience. And here's James calling us to be patient in the face of wrongs and hurts and trials. And he's illustrating it with this example of the farmer who waits. Think of the man who prayed, Lord, give me patience and I want it now. Think of this call, this exhortation, be patient. And it's easy to be patient when things are going well, when things are going smoothly. But it's not really practiced when things are going badly because we get frustrated. We have a short fuse. You're behind a slow driver and you're in a hurry to get somewhere like myself and you're honking the horn, you're trying to get past them and you get frustrated or you're put on hold and you're in a hurry. And you see, we're quick to find fault. We're quick then to snap at our wives and snap at our children. We get upset over small, insignificant little things. The word waiteth here in the Greek is not something that's passive. It means persevering under pressure. It means persevering in the face of persecution. Perseverance in the face of pain. Not giving up. Not despairing. See, biblical patience, I believe, is a toleration of people with all their imperfections and all their faults and all their flaws. Do you know that love is patient? 1 Corinthians 13 and 4. Do you know that patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit? Galatians 5 and 22. And patience takes time to cultivate. And biblical patience is, of course, a steadfast stickability in relation to the work of God. Because like the farmer waits for the harvest, so God's people have to wait for the harvest. The harvest will come. It'll come in God's time. It'll come in God's way. We have to have faith in God. 
And for God's work, as believers, we've got to behave and we've got to wait like a farmer. Do our duty. Fulfill our responsibility. Remember the increases of God. And we have to wait. And are we waiting for God to work even in our own church after all these times? Waiting for souls to be saved, backstairs to be restored. Waiting for a move of God's Spirit. Very quickly, think of the worth of the precious fruit of the earth. I want you to think how valuable the precious fruit of the earth is. Think of the food production the world over. It's a billion dollar industry. And yet we would starve and we would die with the absence of our food. Now contrast that with the value of reaching souls for Jesus Christ. Because souls are more precious than money in the bank. And one day we will all stand before God and we'll give an account. And I wonder, will we be able to say to the Lord, Lord, here are the children that I've tried to win for you. Lord, here are my loved ones, my sons and my daughters, and I've labored to bring them to Christ. Lord, here's my friends and my neighbors. I give the gospel to. I invited them to the mission. Lord, here are the souls you helped me to reach for Christ. You know, Samuel Rutherford was in prison. He was from the little place of Anworth, a little insignificant small town there in Scotland. And he said this, my heaven will be two heavens if one soul from Anworth meets me there. And is that not true and ought to be true of us? You see, James is saying here, be also patient, establish your hearts. In other words, we need to be steadfast in this work that's constant and demanding. This work that demands self-denial and sacrifice. We need to give total allegiance to it. Because nothing else matters. And nothing should move our hearts from Christ and from the work of the gospel. And we should remember, Proverbs says in chapter 11, He that winneth souls, he's wise. So not only think of the wonder of the precious fruit and the work of the precious fruit and the waiting for the precious fruit, but think of the worth of it. How, how valuable it is when the farmer brings in his crop of grain, potatoes, apples, whatever it is. And how valuable it is when we see souls being brought in to the kingdom of God. One final thing, the witness of the precious fruit. You see, the precious fruit of the earth in the field or on the tree, it's sending out a message. It's witnessing to us. This is what it's saying. Harvest is coming. It's saying to us, harvest is certain. It's saying to us, harvest will soon be here. And James is using that as a parallel. And just as sure and certain that harvest is coming and, and is going to come to pass very shortly, so also is the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth in power and glory. Listen to the words, be patient therefore, brethren, unto what? The coming of the Lord. He cites the example of the husbandman. Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth and of long patience for it until he received the early and not a rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts. Why? Because the coming of the Lord 
draweth nigh. Now that's a sermon in itself. And I'm not going to preach it this morning. I'm going to finish in a very short time. But I believe this morning in the personal, visible, physical, bodily return of Jesus Christ to this earth. His feet will stand in the Mount of Olives and the Fount of Olives will split into. And in that day, listen to me carefully, there'll be the condemnation of the sinner. And that's what James is getting at here. Those that know not Christ those that are not saved, those that are strangers to the grace of God, those who live in rebellion to God and his word, those who reject his truth. Think of these rich employers. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with being a wealthy farmer. But if a farmer hires somebody and doesn't pay him, then he's guilty before God. And the worker can cry out. That's exactly this context here. Is not what he told us? Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is kept back by fraud, crieth. Or maybe they've agreed to work for a, a penny a day and they only got half a penny. Many workers have been exploited down through the years. Even in biblical times, they were exploited. I don't believe in socialism. I, I don't believe in capitalism either. But I believe this. That our morality, if you're a child of God, is decided by the Bible. It's governed by the Bible. And James is saying to these rich men, you need to repent because it's time to seek the Lord and get right. Because if Christ comes back, there'll be the condemnation of the sinner. Can I tell you something else? There's the consolation of the saint. The coming of the Lord draws nigh. Your temporal affairs. They are but temporal. Temporarily, they'll come and they'll go. Here's a biblical announcement. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Jesus said, I will come again. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. There's the biblical approach. It's near. It's 2,000 years nearer than when these words were first uttered. There's a biblical anticipation. He's at the door. And there's a biblical accountability. When he comes, he's their judge. Isn't that what he says? Behold, the judge standeth at the door. Do you get the picture? He's coming to condemn the sinner who knows not him. And he's coming to console his saints who have suffered wrong and hurt and hard. And they, they're to be patient. They're to, to be, remain in allegiance to him. They're to work on at the gospel until he comes. That's the gospel lesson from the precious fruit of the earth. Can you thank God for the wonder of the fruit? Do you understand something about the work and the waiting? Can you get sight of the worth? Can you receive the witness? The Lord bless you today. Thank you for coming and listening so patiently.